0: This is Changeling the Podcast.
1: Welcome to Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host Josh, and with us is your other host Puka. Say hi, Puka. Hello. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? Tonight we are delving
0: into the technicolor wonder that is Kithbook Trolls. So
1: that's that's something. Yes, it's a definitely a Kithbook. The first Kithbook. The first Kithbook, yeah, written by Alan Tower. Developed by Ian Lemke. Edited by Cynthia Summers. Okay, we don't need to get to, like, everyone who worked at White Wolf at the time. Uh, I don't
0: know if there's any other names we should shout out. I'd like to particularly shout out Tony de because Tony de art, to me, it's almost synonymous with Changeling. And the Kith book covers, I think, are a large part of that.
1: So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I just, when I see a Tony de Changeling artwork, I'm like, yes, that's that's what I'm after.
1: Yes. I agree that it's like the most changeling of changeling pictures. Yeah.
0: It has that like sketchbooky watercolor quality, but then there's these little precise details and whimsical elements yep. thrown in. Like it's just very much changeling
1: in art form. Yeah, And I definitely think we'll have comments to say about this art in this book in general, but yes, the cover is amazing.
0: Yeah. And having like this sort of borderless, having this borderless cover, I think is a first for white wolf at this point. So you
1: get that full artwork experience. Yeah. But anyway. Probably. Yeah, this is this is not part of the spine design series where you draw the trying to draw that picture. Yeah. Is this the first one that had a... No, they've had whitewolf.com. Yeah, I believe so. I will say, for
0: all of my love of the cover art, when we get to the table of contents, my linguist's
1: heart simply breaks to see the faux runic chapter yes. titles. This does remind me of another that all of Changeling has, just hit me on this font stuff here, the font is terribly hard to read that they use for headings and Changeling in general.
0: Yeah, but it's it's that traditional Irish half-unseal font or whatever it's called that you find on all of the old manuscripts. So I guess just for mm-hmm. you know being a Celtic-centric game as it is, they felt they had yep. to do it. But I'd rather have that over something like this where it's just wrong. Yeah. So like, but I can give you, I mean, I have the, the transliterations of all of these chapter titles because, you know, I'm that way. Mm -hmm. But so for chapter one, we have path of honor for history for chapter two. We have dreams of nobility for society. Chapter three is trolls of legend. Chapter four is the new heroes for character templates. And chapter five is hidden lore. So some of them correspond to the English. Some of them don't.
1: So, well, first we have, (laughs) yeah, this is Otmar the Oathbreaker and How Trolls Came to Frailty is the the sort of intro story. I've noticed that something with the the Kith books in general,
0: I guess Changeling books in general, they tend to open with these sort of um, these tales that that are almost ideological myths for, you know, a birthright or a frailty. And I I kind of like that, you know, because with something like yes. Vampire Clan books, you might open with some kind of gritty vignette about life on the streets as a Ventrue or something. But here it's like, in the long distant past,
1: before trolls were trolls,
0: which fits yeah. more with the feel.
1: I guess we could should summarize the story. Did you want to do that? Oh, go for it. Okay, so this is about a troll named Otmar who long ago before the sundering felt that he was friend zoned by a she and he never told her about it and then he was starting to work up the courage to say something and they were like she, she, he was like serving her as like her troll protector basically and then she came across another she yeah, brianna 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 and sean the silver uh, yeah so sean the silver comes along and basically starts adventuring with them too and it's quite obvious to Otmar that they have thing feelings for each other and he just starts getting more and more depressed about it but he won't bring himself to say anything or what and he doesn't want to break his oaths by like leaving her and then a uh, dark tom who's another she that dastardly she dark tom <laughs> yes he's tom Got Candlejack, the Slua, because this is following with the oney thing of Slua are all evil. And got the Slua to do a dastardly plot to make them all think like they wrote love letters to each other. But then, as plans go, I don't think this is the... It's kind of impressive that it actually worked. Brianna and Sean, they plucked a flower and it made them... Some art in it or something like that. and made them fall asleep. But... Otmar, when he saw them, thought they were actually in a loving embrace instead of knocked out by a flower. And just left at this point and broke all his oaths and felt all terrible. And then the two she were, like, imprisoned in cold iron for years, it sounds like. So yeah, then they get into a... Basically, he comes back after, like, but all the trolls are trying to shame him. And then he comes before the Tawatha Danann and they're all mad at him for oath-breaking, and he starts swearing at them, and that pisses them off enough that uh, they make all the trolls now suffer. They lose all their power when they lose their oath, like when they break an oath, and that's the troll frailty. And then, so he was so shamed at what the Tawatha did to him that he decided he needs to go make atonement for his oath, which means he has to go find them and go do that. And then he goes through, and he's a crazy, powerful thing, and ends up saving them and gets his powers back and takes care of both them and their babies that come along later. The end. So what do you think about this story, Puka?
0: It is a very long story. <laughs> yep. It's it's probably longer than it needed to be to explain the troll frailty. I, I appreciate that there is this kind of legend because I can envision trolls telling each other this story around the Balefire or whatever, but there were just so many Unnecessary off ramps, like it just kept going and just wouldn't mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit of the Osterland story at the start of Shining Host, where yeah, like some of it is is actually useful material, and then other things it's just entire episodes that don't really advance the plot at all, which in a book where page count is limited and space is limited, I kind of have to question that decision, you know <laughs> in a role playing book. I enjoy having equal amounts of fluff and crunch, but I do think the balance needs to be carefully struck. And in something like a Kith book, you probably want a little bit more on the crunch side because this is the primary resource for the Kith that somebody's going to be playing. So, spending, I think, a solid fifth of the book on this story, or sixth of the book, maybe, that was maybe too much. That being said, there are a couple little throwaway lines that I do want to know more about. Like, there's reference to this treasure called the Gem Jiminy, and I desperately want to know more about what that's
1: supposed to be. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I think the other thing is, it's not even fluff versus crunch. This isn't a very actionable story in any way. You give lots of setting details and all sorts of things. That's great for your game normally, but this is just... Mm. Yeah, yeah, Here's the story where the trolls come from. Or not even that, where the frailty comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to describe the next chapter? So chapter
0: one, Path of Honor. We get a history of trolldom. It opens with kind of a curious conceit, which is four philosophical points of view or creation myths on where the trolls came from. We have the traditionalists who accept that the Shi are the rulers, that the Tuatha de created all of the fey and created the Shi first and foremost, but with the little caveat that the trolls were created to almost keep the nobles accountable to their nobility, which I kind of like. After the traditionalists, we have the Danaists, which is the most popular point of view among the trolls. And the notion is that Dana of the tuath de hence the name, created them to be protectors and guardians. And there's a whole spectrum of interpretations about what that means to the trolls. There are ones that say, oh, we only have to protect ourselves and maybe other Fae, and then some that say, no, we have to protect every fey, every human, all humans dream, therefore all humans are part of the dreaming and they need to be defended. This is also uh, the group that came up with the Code of Dagda, which is sort of the additional code of honor that the trolls hold above and beyond their court affiliation or whatever else. So protect the dreaming, respect those of higher station, never abuse your strength, and accept an honorable surrender. Now, not every troll will obey all of those to the letter, but they're meant to be guiding principles for the kith. After that, we have the egalitarian point of view, or the egalitarian creation myth, and that is almost as popular as the last one, but it says that, Yes, while the Twistedanon created all Fae, they created the Shi and the Trolls, and indeed all the other Kiths probably, at the same time, intending them to be complementary. While they might have different strengths and the Shi are maybe better at leading, while the Trolls are better at guarding and defending and whatnot, mm-hmm. all of them are equal, and so Trolls have just as much right to nobility as the She do, even if it comes from different actions and different attitudes. And a lot of this point of view stems from sort of the trolls epic called the Chronicles of Leander. And then finally, there's the rarest of the creation myths, which is the Athenian named after the myth of Athena, who was split fully formed from the skull of Zeus. The Athenians say that their kith, like the other kiths and possibly the prodigals as well, sort of just sprang from human dreams And they also say that the Tuatidaman didn't didn't necessarily create the other kiths, that they were just the first to appear. Uh, So it's sort of a radical point of view. So moving on, following the creation myths piece, we get some talk about the age of legends. My takeaway from this is that basically anyone large in legends was probably a troll. We have discussions of the Cyclops and the Lystragonians from the Odyssey we have talk about the giants from different parts of the world, the ogres of Germanic folktales. And also they use troll giant and ogre almost interchangeably throughout this section with the sort of idea that giant refers to a sealy troll and ogre refers to an unsealy troll. But given how ogres became a separate kith of Thalane later and giants kind of seems like a broader category than just troll, I found it quite confusing, but Perhaps at the time it made more sense. I think it was always confusing,
1: but yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We get a little piece of, I guess you could call it secret history where the she are said to only have gained their, their position of leadership through wars and conquering. So there's this idea that each of the kits kind of had their own domain, possibly in the dreaming and the she sort of overran them one by one, but saved the trolls for last because while it was clear the she might eventually beat them it would be a very pyrrhic victory because the trolls would never surrender and would put up the nastiest fight out of all the other kits so rather than all out war what both sides decided was to kind of come together and create this system where the trolls submitted to the she albeit in a more privileged position than the other commoner kits and in exchange they created the escheat and held the she to it and so that is sort of this backstory for perhaps why changeling society is the way that it is.
1: Yeah. I thought it was also that that uh battle there really gave what felt like uh like it was sort of suggesting the Titanomaki Titanomaki from like Greek mythology and like mm. the gods versus the Jotun in Jotanirian like Norse mythology and yeah, all those yeah, things yeah. are all like fighting sheep. Which is a that's a very white wolf thing to do but it's just a nice little bit there i thought this had more detail on what the shattering was like than anywhere else i've read or at least some of the mechanics of the shattering with like trods closing and then the remaining trods getting more full of monsters basically and things like that and it made a bit more sense why people didn't just leave when they needed to it's like it was actually hard to get out of there and the trolls supposedly helped
0: yeah I agree with that. But at the same time, I also feel like there are large swaths of history that have kind of been elided. So because we go from the age of legends and these sort of primordial prehistoric in the literal sense, you know, before there's any kind of written record, these sort of battles being hashed out between she and trolls and all of that. And then we get about two paragraphs that go from however many thousands of years ago that was to the shattering. And it's like mm-hmm. a lot happened in there. <laughs> you know. I mean, there's, there's oh, nothing yeah. on Vikings. There's nothing on the entire, you know, Viking age, essentially, which was a bit surprising. There's nothing on the Celts either. I mean, any of that sort of human history stuff is just kind of glossed over. And, and in exchange, we get these epics of the Kith. And I, in in terms of the structure of the chapter i do kind of like the idea that when trolls sit around talking about their history it is largely based on these sort of oral narratives like like the the etta from icelandic um, culture or homeric epics or or beowulf or stuff like that so you have these sort of extended war stories or battle stories and that's that's the basis of their tale telling their historical memory but it's not very helpful for a diegetic gift book, <laughs> so
1: yeah like there's other things like exploring this theme of trolls being the pre farming europeans perhaps like that were holed out. and then eventually they become the farmers where everyone else lives in cities i don't know i had that thing going through it too a lot of showing, no telling of trolls are of nature, I found in this.
0: But it's a very, it's a, a sort of nature that's removed from human concerns and human impressions. Like we don't get any kind of notes about how trolls have interacted with humans through this entire time. There's general stuff like, oh, the Fey and the humans grew apart and Arcadia and the autumn world grew apart. But like, okay, so what does that say about? How trolls responded, what were trolls doing? How did trolls gain the culture that they did in relation to how human culture was unfolding, and that's what I find lacking here. Fun stories mm-hmm. but you know there you have to do a lot of reading between a lot of lines here, oh,
1: yeah, I'm not trying to argue otherwise it's, uh...
0: and then it's then we're already at the shattering, so you know we kind of rock it through. <laughs> several thousand years of history
1: i like the sidebar on how they're not bigfoot yes but they might be yeah and then you get father james troll civil rights leader he is my favorite troll in the book me too not art wise but yes
0: his character i don't know if that's supposed to be him art wise i mean wait, can we talk about the art okay. for a second um <laughs> it's like so So there are three artists in this book. Um, there's Stuart Beale, Lee Fields, and Clint Langley. And with apologies to Stuart and Lee, Clint Langley's art I actually enjoy. and the other two, I go from kind of baffled to more baffled, trying to like decide why certain artistic choices were made.
1: Yeah, yeah. like all of their heads. A lot of the the Lee ones, the troll heads look like there's two dragon fingers coming out of their head instead of horns. It just doesn't.
0: And yeah, it just. But they've got that lustrous eighties metal band
1: hair. Yep. Yeah, not wild about it, but. Yeah. Some of the art's okay. Some of the I remember I thought I my memory all of the art was bad, and it's actually a very mixed bag instead, depending
0: on. The- yeah. Anyway, on the way, on the lead up to the resurgence, we get some information about the interregnum. And I liked the notion of a troll becoming, so some of the examples they give are like a caravan guard or a scout as kind of an excuse or a way to be on the lookout for lost kin. And that's something which I don't recall seeing very often in the canon like after the shattering with with the fey so cut off from the dreaming and from each other in those early centuries it would have just been a process to try and find each other and reestablish contact i like that this directly calls that out i wish there were more information about it and the possibilities that that means for troll history or any cat's history
1: but yeah there's another little throwaway bit i liked in the interregnum stuff too about how maybe there's still Trolls who didn't go through the changeling way in the wild places of the world. That just little story hookish story stud. I think Terry Robinson called mm. it, but it's, it was something that stuck out at me. It's like, oh, that could be. I could use that. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's notes about how the trolls kind of turned to the wilderness as a way of avoiding the industrializing cities and their rising banality, but also just how they were becoming the de facto maybe not rulers, but leader figures among the Kithane that they found or who found them. It's also worth mentioning that the notion of the trolls being nobles, the book kind of details, well, kind of details because it's only a few sentences, I think. But they talk about the rise of a system of nobility in the absence of the she and how it was both very gradual and the trolls maybe not reluctantly stepped into those roles, but sort of they didn't. They didn't say I'll be the leader. They kind of waited till the other kids said, "Hey, we want you to be the leaders," and that's how they ended up becoming the ruling class, to some extent. But they were more, I guess, more just law keepers than
1: aristocrats.
0: So maintaining the escheat and the code of Dagda and all of that.
1: Yeah, it explicitly said that, like, if Kithane didn't want to listen to their rule, that was fine, as long as they weren't attacking mm. Kithane. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah the resurgence yep we just
0: get lots of war stories which you'd kind of expect from the trolls i suppose lots of war stories in fact i mean we have the battle of well the beltane massacre the battle of central park the battle of greenwich the reunion of peace more about battle aftermath so just a lot of accordance war focused stuff here and similar to the idea of Trolls sitting around telling these oral epics. I can also envision trolls sitting around the balefire telling their war stories. So the cover character, the the troll that's sort of the, the signature troll for the changeling is Tor, who's from the Immortalized Chronicle. And he is a, in the narrative, a veteran of both Vietnam and the Accordance War. So he's a grump uh, who's kind of on the verge of undoing. So I see that percolating into the Kith book here, this notion of the trolls kind of reliving their glory days to some extent. But yeah, I think it's to some extent more of the same from what we've come to expect from the Kith. Like, oh, they were honorable combatants and they were absolute terrors in battle and nothing really surprising, I would say. There is a random note at the end about the so-called troll reclamation proclamation, but apparently it's an initiative by the Xi to curtail the political power of the trolls in the Parliament of Dreams. I don't know that anything ever came of that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the sort of political machination subplot stuff was dropped, but it's there.
1: Yeah, that basic tension was kind of there all the way through War and Concordia and stuff, but I don't remember the actual yeah that bit giving in. Yeah. But that's
0: chapter one. And I don't know. Overall, what'd you think?
1: I thought it was like, what I would expect a particular troll to give as the history of the trolls and like gloss over a lot of things that you'd want more on. And like, I thought it was decent. As far as like, we've gone through a few of these histories now, and it did seem to present different things from the other books. Mm. different aspects there was the line individual members of some houses mostly liam and a few of house fiona elected to stay behind as to the entirety of house scott which i guess yeah that's already been another things, but it's
0: yeah there is a, a note somewhere in here i think it's when they talk about um father james I should probably just mention father james is like a priest who lives in la who corresponded with martin luther king and is also a troll and preaches nonviolence, but also protects his people. Like just as a character is really cool and interesting. And I would love to see more Father James, but we never do. I don't think outside of this book, Mm -hmm. they do talk about, I think on the same page, they have this note that not all trolls were on the side of social change. And I think it's important to have that in here. I think there's this idea that changelings by default are very progressive, very lefty. And I think C20 in particular presents them that way. But, you know, when you're kind of looking at these historical moments, it does kind of raise the question of like, well, where did white changelings stand with regard to race in the early 20th century in the US? Or where did they stand with regards to gender or any of these other sort of tensions that have existed historically, changelings are half human, even if they're kind of ahead of the curve. For the most part, there's always going to be individuals who are conservative and retrogressive, and we shouldn't pretend necessarily that they don't exist because having that complexity enriches the game and makes for more nuanced villains, potentially.
1: So. Yeah. Also, I think a big one for Kithane, which I think both makes sense in the setting and is also, I think, good for reflecting on the real world and things like that, is just how many Kithane would go, well, yeah, obviously that's wrong, but I've got bigger problems to deal with and not really want to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole discussion that we could have. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. But let's move on to chapter two. Yeah, the picture there has trolls with
1: lots of different kinds of horns. I like that. Yeah, horn diversity. Yes. So it starts out with what are the trolls deep down, and they're more complex than you might think. Like still waters run deep kind of thing going on. Uh, Talks about how trolls, more than any other kith except the she, uh, knights are trolls. But trolls tend to stay knights, not going up much past that. Which I think actually makes sense as a, I'm thinking for character concepts. A lot of times people want to play a she knight. And she doesn't really play into it. I'm like you could just, just do a troll. You just want the knight part. <laughs> I think that works. But they're not as pretty. They're not as pretty. But they're really strong. So I mean they're big. That's got some stuff to it too. Yeah, yeah. super loyal. Typical things about how they take oaths seriously. Uh, there's the. the They give a lot of perspectives. From both the Sealy and Unsealy court. To the sort of sealy code and unsealy code. Sealy trolls are pretty standard, very loyal, very big on uh, oaths and stuff. They do have the never forget a debt bit that I do think needs to be brought up more in Changeling of. That also never forget a debt also doesn't also covers when somebody wrongs you. And that's something the that seely trolls will often do too. Yeah. And I like that take better in sealy instead of just having sealy good, unsealy bad. And yeah, the unseelie trolls—they're still big on oaths, but they're big on—they're th- very careful about which oaths they swear. They need to get something out of it, and they're going to listen to the, the wording of the oath, not just just the spirit of it. At least as much as the dreaming would let them. And it talks about how they're really uh, on the battlefield. They have this habit of calling out each other. All the trolls on each side will call each other out first before <laughs> the big fighting starts. And then sometimes, if like one of the trolls beats one side of trolls, completely defeats the other side of trolls, maybe that might even end the battle. And then it talks about their perspectives of other kith, which. Okay, sure. No, unsealy trolls love knockers, apparently. It says even the unsealy trolls are okay with the she until they don't like, until the leader proves themselves unworthy, and then they'll tend to take him out. Yeah, that's actually one thing that they bring up earlier. Uh, Sealy trolls will. Often, if you have a despot, remove the despot and replace with another she. And unseely trolls will remove the despot and probably not replace with another she; just step into it themselves. It's the big thing there, and they really hate Slua, all of them. And then there's some racist stuff about the nunehi which was pretty bad. And yeah, the whole galley and Prodigals are well. Actually, oh, there's a oh, there's a bit here about uh, nymphs. Being strange as the nymphs are, they're infinitely closer than the anime. So more about this secret nymph kit, kith that
0: uh... I have that in my notes as well. <laughs> it is evidence. Yes, for, for that kith book uh, nymph, you're going to eventually put out, right? Eventually, I mean, I think at this point we have enough to to build a reasonable, both a reasonable case and a reasonable build for nymphs.
1: Mm-hmm. Spit on that, yeah and i'm not sure how we'll have to see how far into second edition they keep up with the nymphs or if that just drops away i think once an anime the secret way came out it was fully over so yeah and then they talk about troll society and this is still in the era of changeling when if most kithane just hung out with their own kith and then talks about troll three holds which i'm picturing as like no less than like 30 trolls in them with the way they're describing the structure of a troll freehold maybe you could get with less but it's still going to be a lot of trolls it's like a mead hall yeah and like yeah they have the three fellowships which is discussed here and not really referenced anywhere else of uh, yeah of uh there's the fellowship of the hearth for domestic affairs yep the fellowship of the storm for military affairs and the fellowship of the mountain for spiritual and historical aspects also covering glamour, maintaining the balefire and whatnot for the Fellowship of the Mountain. And it generally corresponds to Hearth is Childling, Storm is Wilder, and Mountain is uh, Grump, but doesn't have to be. Like, uh, There's lots of examples of Grumps doing Hearth and Wilders doing Mountain and all that stuff. But, and they have another Oath. There's a lot of Oaths in this book that don't have list any mechanics, but just sort of oath itself and then talks about noble freeholds run by trolls and then motley freeholds run by trolls which are all both called lodges and then talks about troll romance they read the uh nobles the shining host with all the romantic legacy stuff and wanted to go how tr- how can trolls play into this not that they actually brought in those mechanics but yeah
0: and... luckily this section is mercifully short
1: yeah, some troll societies. There's the Oathbound. They swear a lot of oaths, but maybe secretly. The Brotherhood of Thor. They're big on protecting the Fey. Society of Veterans, which are just uh, VFW, but for trolls. Knights of the Way, who don't call themselves knights because they call themselves rovers, so people don't think that they're all knights. And they just wander around. It's tying to a story of Red Rory and Moira the Mountain who are told to uh, troll lo- lovers of history. Like, back in history, they fell in love and defended a bunch of trods, so they go around defending, beating up monsters, and maybe helping out with some trod stuff. Uh, the Protectorate, which is all about love and f- protect facilitation of love and protection of lovers, which is like, okay, are they matchmakers? And then the Cheapers of Justice, but they don't actually act as judges, they just will give advice on laws and history. I mean, I guess, trials? Maybe. So that's that chapter. Yeah, what did you think about that, Puka?
0: Yeah. Overall, I think I liked it better than the history chapter because it at least was more direct in its applicability for games. But there's definitely moments moments I really liked and moments I was indifferent to. I did think that... Something I would have liked to see more of was the relationship that they have with the She, because it's the most interesting and complex out of any of the troll perspectives on other Kiths. But there's mm-hmm. a little bit, which I guess is good. Just that notion, you know, they they demand that the Shi earn their nobility. And I think that that's a really interesting social role for them to fulfill. I almost see them as kind of like the HR department of the Kithane, for better or for worse, They can't quite hold power completely accountable, but they're the ones that all the other commoners come to with their problems because that's the only place they feel like they'll be heard. And I like the notion of them being knights, but not advancing beyond that because they wouldn't have enough time to devote their full attention to the responsibilities of being a baron or a count or whatever. And they want the she to recognize how much is involved in those responsibilities too. Because if they don't, the trolls are going to be the ones to call them out on it. So I kind of like that dynamic that they have. There's a nice note about with the oath. I just, I also find it really sweet that the oath we get in this section is an oath of adoption, like just straight up, Mm -hmm. you know, you're my family now. And I think that speaks very well to the changeling theme of chosen family and kinship. So I really appreciated seeing that in there. But with oaths in general, there's this silly versus unsealy perspective where the silly see oath swearing as a duty or privilege, while the unsealy see it as a sign of might. So the silly are like, I'm going to keep swearing oaths because that's what I'm here to do. And the unsealy are like, Haha, I've got 10 oaths going at once. Bring it. You know, that's kind of an interesting dichotomy. Like you said, having this first edition, each kith kind of hangs out just with the rest of their kith is something that I find difficult to integrate into a mixed splat game. It makes a little bit more sense to me for the trolls because they have a mechanic that's tied into their culture. They have this whole structure around honor and the swearing of oaths and everything, and then they have a birthright and frailty that are directly tied into that. So I can understand it to some extent, but it's still difficult to kind of run with that unless you happen to be playing an all trolls game, which more power
1: to you if you're going to do that. But it's unlikely that that comes up very often. On the all kith thing, I have I like to think of that as like, and I I run sort of like a milder version when I run when I usually run changeling. I think of it as a lot of the kithane do spend a lot of time with others of the same kith. And when you get a PC group going, it's a little bit unusual, like having the cross, but it's not unusual enough that it's like a problem, but just, I don't see like equivalents to PC groups running around in droves in whatever area you have changelings in. So it's like, you know, having this sort of group of questing, adventuring party, whatever they're doing. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's one of those here, you know, not like what most Cathane are doing. Yeah. does That make sense. And then even then, I'd say, like, you know, the troll character you still have connections to trolls, you know, real red cat characters, connections to a Corby or something. You have a sewing circle for your Boggins.
0: Yeah. The thing that bothers me about the presentation of the trolls as, like, a closed society here, though, is that it just doesn't feel like it's entirely earned. I mean, yes, okay, they have this structure around honor and everything, but it's not like the other kiths don't also have that or don't understand that. And there's nothing in the description of them that makes them sound terribly unique. Culturally, I mean, you know, personality wise, sure, they value Mm -hmm. honor above all else because mechanically they have to. But I want to hear, oh, every every new moon, they do feats of strength around the fire and whoever wins gets crowned grand high, such and such, and gets to eat all of the roast beast for that, that night. And if a Seder's invited and he happens to win, then congratulations, Seder, you get to eat the roast beast or something, you know. And just those little aspects of practices that are unique to them but comprehensible to others, I think, would go a long way in making them feel like a a fully fleshed out Kith that is nonetheless integrated into changeling society. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, we'll get to this with other Kith books. I think some Kith books do this and some don't. And this is one of the ones that it feels like doesn't maybe because it's the first one and they were still figuring out exactly how they wanted to do it. But mm-hmm. in any case for the remainder of the chapter, the fellowships, I like the idea of them. It's just not clear to me. It's, they seem to have this vote of no confidence power, but it's unclear exactly how that works where they can kind of like, I don't know, stop a, a lodge from taking some kind of action, maybe declaring war or something but I'm not exactly sure how that works. And the societies are fine. I see The Protectorate as kind of The mm-hmm. Love Cops, which is a show that I would only watch as a guilty pleasure late at night.
1: I imagine if that's the, the show that Changed the Dreaming got a show based on. It's all troll love cops.
0: Yeah. Chapter three.
1: Yes. So what what do you want to take us through the chapter three?
0: So for chapter three... Really, it's like one page with all of the art and white space. But essentially, we just have a handful of well-known trolls. Uh, We have Duke Topaz, who I wish we had more about. I'd love to see a heavy update on Duke Topaz. He is the the son of General Lyros, the infamous hero slash antihero, depending on whom you ask, of the Accordance War. And he's the ruler of the Kingdom of the Feathered Snake. Again, we have some problematic representation of the Nunahy here, and that's really, I think every time we've seen Duke Topaz, it's like he's this great general ruling over the kingdom of the Feather Snake who just can't seem to get those Nunahi in line, and that's just his entire character, but it could be a lot more interesting. So we have Father James, who we mentioned before, He has he's an ordained priest who lives in the heart of Los Angeles. And juggles his responsibilities to his parishioners with his Fey obligations, and sees no contradiction between the two. Super cool. Then General Lyros, general of the Fourth Troll Commons, who was ultimately victorious in the Battle of Manhattan. The conservative she accused him of assassinating General Davis, but General Lyros is far too honorable for something like that. There's Red Rory and Moyer of the Mountain, who are the Seely Knight and his un- unseely Thane Bride, who are honorable but gruff and wander around rescuing waylay travelers. We have Alice the Norn, who's a grump reputed to be the most powerful Cirrus in all of Concordia. And then we have the Dread
1: Menace. Uh, yeah. The, uh, my, my show notes for this chapter are Sigh the Dread Menace.
0: Yeah, that was, it was a choice. He is a, a troll of Caribbean heritage who has dreadlocks. A bad pun. Oh, and
1: he steals stuff. Yeah. And he hangs out with redcaps and slew us, so you know he's really bad news.
0: Wherever he's found, there's almost certain to be some sort of trouble, usually the violent sort. Yeah. So, of these famous trolls, I would say two are absolutely great to use in your game, Father James and Alice the Nord. Four are... Relevant to the history of the Cathane and the history of trolls, which are Duke Topaz, General Lyrus, Red Rory, and More of the Mountain. And we'll just leave the remaining one to the side. And that's it.
1: Okay. So next we have chapter four, the new heroes, character templates.
0: With peculiar art to open. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, is he sitting on a thing? Is he
0: I don't know. Like um, it's it's just a cop. I, I don't even read this as troll. It's just a cop. Yeah, it's
1: just a cop. It looks like a nightmare chimera cop, maybe or just uh, a... maybe.
0: But anyway, yeah. Then then there's
1: then we get into the character. Yes. Knight in training. He's not a cop. <laughs> no, no. I don't think. Although he wants to be, or he just he wants to be a knight. He's like, woohoo! You're a knight who wants. To, you're, you're someone who wants to be a knight, and you're a uh, Wilder, and you're of House Dougal for some reason. Uh, there you go. There's your knight character, although he doesn't have the knight, he doesn't have no title. Uh, Troll girl. She's uh, an angry woman who's beast and unseely. She's big and she punches people. You have a farmer who has a shotgun who's a bumpkin and um, really likes his farm. He does. He does. And then you have somebody who's really good at sports, sports prodigy. You're all big on sports. You're a little bit, you're almost hot headed. You're young if you. that's not quite hyperactive. You're guileless and adorable. You're beginning trouble. Everyone's a friend at first, but uh, you're quick to figure out if somebody's screwing you around. And yeah, he has a baseball bat. Very good at melee, because I guess that's what they teach you in baseball. And eco-terrorist. This, I think, is the worst art in the book, (laughs) I would argue. He's got... Why does he have little... It's an overweight troll with pink hair? carrying a crowbar yeah i think you want to be a Garu. and there you go that's the character concepts
0: given the quality of the art here i feel almost offended that the text for most of these was made so tiny just to make room for the very large and not great art like some of the text is legitimately very hard to read and the trolls and i use the term loosely here yeah often take up half the page so and uh, don't get me wrong i get it they're big nevertheless these were choices and yeah having the sports prodigy childling have three dots in throwing and three dots
1: in sports trivia that was maybe not necessary yep and melee 4 still i think that's still a bit but he's got computer one because he's a kid and he already knows how to use computers
0: oh yeah the House Dougal piece was actually something that was a question from, I think, Count Clockwise on the Discord. And yeah, it's, it's an odd choice, I guess, because House Dougal needs some knights, too. Everyone, everyone wants to be a Gwydion knight or a Fiona knight or, hell, maybe even a Liam knight. But I like that Dougal is getting some representation here. What I'm wondering, though, is that if he's sworn to House Dougal, will one of his limbs fall off? Because that's
1: something that happens.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't you have to get the title background?
0: Yeah, but I mean, presumably he can eventually get one of those, so. Yeah. He's in training.
1: Yeah. I guess they sold him by giving him a nice sword full of... that's all notched up. Yeah. I feel like the Dougal would make a better sword than that, further.
0: I think I did actually find the troll girl to be the most interesting on the surface, because she's sort of this... she was a bully in school, and she kind of grew into that role kind of became went from being a schoolyard bully to being like mafiosa or something so
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i am always fine with a an eco terrorist template having made one of those for the heel do so
1: yep i found i found all of these adequate there you go the actual uh characters so
0: then we get to chapter
1: 5
0: hidden lore which is where we get the crunch the crunchiest of the crunch So we have a number of merits and flaws. And what I think is very clear reading through these is that they probably were written around the same time as the player's guide ones, because some of these are just not great. Some of them are essentially the same as other merits and flaws that exist. Some of them reappear in second edition in a revised form. And ultimately, I feel like for the most part, they just didn't really have a great sense of where they were going for this. Maybe they didn't play test them sufficiently or something.
1: Yeah, there's. I, I do find it funny. There's some of these that are that came out for book trolls, that the ones that did basically get reprinted, maybe under different names mm-hmm. in later editions. When I've had troll PCs, people tend to take these merits that are still around. Like It's not like they looked at book trolls as just, oh yeah, stone skin for my troll, that makes sense.
0: Right, but it's a lot of them just aren't even that so like Stone skin is a three point merit that gives you one extra soak die, but does not add to any other stamina rolls. It's like I I guess that's good, but oh. wouldn't you rather just spend the ex- two more points and get that extra dot of stamina? Or like Blessing of Atlas is a five point merit that gives you a dot of strength. But spending five freebies will also give you a dot of strength. I guess it could take it above five, but yeah, so your troll can have a strength of eight. I suppose, but that's, that's leaning very hard into strength as a choice, which, I don't know, min-maxing in that direction is almost never a great idea. Mm-hmm. Or like Blood of Rivers is functionally the same as uh, Fairy Eternity in 2nd edition, because Fairy Eternity in the Player's Guide was only two points, and here it's five points. So something happened where they said, oh, crap, immortality should not be that cheap Uh,
1: of course now in c20 it is again yeah because immortality is so game-breaking that your character doesn't get old
0: quickly you have things like the arcadian or ancient oath which is basically the same as mystical prohibition or imperative you have some flaws like nature bound where you get a two-point flaw with a one die penalty in unnatural settings so okay i don't know it's just they don't seem very compelling or really having much impact on the game to me so that's my that's my take on like great for flavor i suppose but i want merits and flaws to be a little bit more interesting than that personally
1: yeah that, that actually might, we can go uh reminds me of the weapons yes uh that's the standout really i don't know i didn't find these very inspiring either I'm like uh you get really big die boldnesses.
0: That being said, this the the weapon section I think has the best art in the book. Or the the objects overall, I should say. Yes. So yeah, I mean you get things like you can have a what is it? A hill axe that does strength plus eight damage with a concealability rating of, yeah, right, which I like. But then we get into treasures, and the treasures are always I think you can you can assess a kiss book almost entirely on the basis of the treasures it provides. And I feel like this is one of the best parts of the book so you have the enchanted highland blades you have rory's bag which is basically a bag of holding for food well not a bag of holding for food it magically provides one meal per day but it's a large bag and it kind of makes me wonder why wouldn't you just carry a large bag with food in it i mean it produces travel rations it doesn't produce like you know well how many days are you traveling i guess that's true But you need to spend glamour each time you do it as well. So you better be getting some glamour along the way. There's the brooch of the true suitor. Essentially, it makes sweet talking easier as long as the target is genuinely interested. And as soon as they're not, then the charm loses its power, which I think is kind of a a fun little thing. And then we have the Shield of Virtue and the Mall of Thunder, because we need Cap America's shield and Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, in this book. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, beautifully illustrated, both of those. And that's, I think, where, honestly, the Norse influence and, I guess, the Scottish influence, because we have a Highland Blade,
1: come through the strongest. Yeah, yeah, it takes us through the book. The end. So what's what's your overall take on Kith book trolls?
0: Overall, I think I want to give it a lot of leeway because it was the first Kith book that came out, even though there had been plenty of clan books and tribe books and tradition books, hell, even probably guild books by this point. I liked the perspectives on the other kiths, the treasures, some of the stories in the history section, but overall sort of the feel that oral culture is really important to the trolls. And then that sort of very particular social and political role they have in the larger kithane society. I didn't care for the lack of attention to any of the history outside of the sort of mythic or war focused stuff i would have loved to hear more about the trolls during the roman empire or the trolls during the viking age or the trolls during the industrial revolution that kind of stuff and then like i said the merits and flaws i could take or leave and some of this art i don't think i would put on my fridge if my kid did it to be honest
1: but you know yeah my take is i would give this book in some ways the least offensive changeling book maybe not the least offensive but like it, it's like it has a low glamour rating there's very little that i'm going oh i don't want to include that in my game if a player had kith book trolls and was like oh can we bring this into the game for almost all of it i'd say sure hmm. but at the same time there's nothing i'd want to bring into my game very yeah, much yeah, very yeah. little in the book yeah it's it's all just kind of okay so it's like, there's, we'll get to have other books in the future. Some of those are like, uh, nope, but <laughs> some things, but this one's just like,
0: eh. I think that's also part of why I get irritated by the opening story being so long, because there are a lot of other moments in the book, which I feel like there's a lot there that could be explored further. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, some of the traditions they have around oaths, I'd want to hear more about, how do trolls respond to oath breakers in their society or, or, you know, something like that. I'd like to hear more. about. Yeah. They had a little bit about that.
1: Some trolls show up and argue with you and some of them punch you.
0: Right. But they had a little about a lot of stuff. And I feel like there, there was the opportunity to delve into it more mm-hmm. that we just didn't get. And I don't think any of that has to be at the expense of, you know, more overtly, discussing how the trolls are integrated into kithane society but like you said that's more of an artifact of first edition than anything else Mm -hmm. and i think we'll see that with some of the other kith books
1: Well, yeah seems like we're roughly in agreement on this book if you can pick it up for cheap i think it's worth reading
0: yeah i don't feel worse for having read it so that's something
1: yeah and and it's like there's actually very little that's so first edition of focus that you couldn't use it in c20 yeah I mean, some of the mechanical stuff, yeah, but there's not a lot of that either. So yeah.
0: Well we still have we, we still have a couple questions from the Discord.
1: So. <laughs> oh okay, let's go through that, yeah.
0: We have we have two brief questions from sanchigar on the Discord. Uh, first is so do trolls hand the reins of Kithane Society back to the Shi so fast because they're a bunch of bootlickers, or because they didn't want to be the guys in charge of the Madhouse anymore? I think we can say the second one is closer, but not quite. I think some of them are bootlickers. I think they're comfortable with being seen as bootlickers, but they're not, which is a valuable distinction to have in Mm -hmm. mind, particularly Mm -hmm. if one is going to play a troll. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're willing to believe.
1: Oh, certainly the troll leadership is not. Yeah. They're willing to
0: believe in the rule of law and tradition over any kind of maybe individual desire for power. And they're willing to subordinate their own desires in the service of that. But at the same time, they will hold anyone in a higher position to the same standards they would hold themselves to, which, you know, is interesting, I think, is an interesting mm-hmm. way of looking at it. So,
1: Yeah, it would have been nice to get what that standard meant, though, because mm-hmm. I don't think they're automatically overthrowing. Like, I think they have a pretty high tolerance before they will overthrow. A large yeah, sheep.
0: yeah, definitely. Although... Mileage may vary. Certain, <laughs> certain trolls will have different levels of tolerance for different types of she. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and obviously, court comes into it, and I guess fellowship comes mm-hmm. into it. Although I don't think that's a, a notion we see anywhere else ever again for trolls. Mm-hmm. And then also from Sanchecker, the question: Did anybody else ever read the online alternative kith book? If so, what were your thoughts on the less Celtic approach? So I had not read it when Sandshaker posted the link, I did go snag it and I will read it. But just from a quick skim of that book, which does seem very more Norse inflected to me, I have to say this one didn't feel like a Celtic approach at all. It didn't feel terribly tied to any particular culture, which I think was both good and bad. Yeah, I mean, when you want to look at the roots of the presentation of trolls, you you do see scraps of it, like there's a little bit of the Highland warrior stereotype. Trolls themselves come from Germanic mythology. There's a little bit of Saxon elements. There is a little bit of Celtic elements, but none of it really stands out overtly. So I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Like there's the Dag stuff because they got the code oh, of Dag. Yeah,
0: there's that, and I mean there's the Danes, but then also the Athenians. So there's both Irish and Greek. So it's I mean it's a big jumble. There is a note I think early in the history chapter where they they use kind of multiple names, or they they make reference to the various names trolls have been called, among them giant ochre etc. And it makes me think about to draw a biological analogy that a kith is more like a genus than a species. And so and you and you kind of see that with changeling the lost as well. It's just made more explicit there maybe. So the trolls are I guess a generally European you would you could probably say large and stoic and honor-bound kith with many different little variations in expression from culture to culture. So there's there's a lot of that sort of mm-hmm. Melting pot generality in this book, I think. Yep. Anyway, thanks for the questions, Andrew. So I guess that now we're wrapped up. Yes, that's that's all I've got. There's a character sheet at the back. There's a back cover. What more do we need to say?
1: yep So once again, this has been Changeling the Podcast. Uh, I'm your host Josh, and also Puka here. You can find our website at changelingthepodcast.com. You can find our
0: Patreon www.patreon.com slash podcast.
1: yes you can find us on the page on facebook we've got a twitter at changelingcast we have a discord uh, best way to get to our discord is to go to changelingthepodcast.com you can also email us if you'd like podcast at changelingthepodcast.com yeah and uh yeah find us on the discord reach out to us if you have any comments or questions or anything along those lines and with that uh Make sure to overthrow any oppressive nobility that's not pulling their weight? And write a damn good epic while you do it.
0: Rumor has it that Kithane trolls resent the appropriation of their moniker to describe internet denizens whose sole purpose seems to be irritating, threatening, and disrupting the working of civilized online society. The blue-skinned behemoths would like everyone to know that they do not endorse such behavior, and in fact are upstanding citizens that would like to support the community and glamour they see in the world. To that end, we'd like to extend a very special thanks to our producers who helped to make this show possible, or at least more probable in a harsh and unforgiving universe. They are Sandshaker, Seja, and Terry Robinson. If you'd like to similarly be a force of generosity and good, please consider leaving a review on the platform where you're listening to this podcast. You can also visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Signing up to support our show is how you get your name in this little shout-out at the end. But regardless, thanks for your attention and listenership, and keep on dreaming.